This is day 195 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing the rest of the book of Mark, chapters 11 through 16. Lord God, as we enter into your presence this morning, please humble our hearts and allow us to be receptive to the words of your Son that are words of life and words of truth. Lord, as we review what he has done and what he did for our sins and what he did to save this world, Lord, that we may take it to heart, we may see the glory that is within it, and just be able to give him the honor and the majesty and the praise that he deserves. Give us a heart that is submissive to you this morning. Please bless the reading of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would not go out of the city. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. They came to Jerusalem again. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? 
or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and if you answer me, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say, from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say, from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put up a wall around it, and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower, and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them another slave and they wounded him in the head, and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him, and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers, and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone? This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, We know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Some Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died, leaving no children. The second one married her and died, leaving behind no children. And the third likewise. And so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead rise again, have you not read in the book of Moses, 
in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. And Jesus began to say, as he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached in all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, 
Do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down, or go in to get anything out of the house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now, and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or Behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels, and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest ends of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see those things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over three hundred denarii, and the money given to the poor. 
and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this, and promised to give him money. And he began seeking how to betray him at the opportune time. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. The disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. As they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, Surely not I. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them, and fell to the ground, and began to pray that it, if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? 
Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me then. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him. But he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Some began to spit at him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers received him with slaps in the face. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again he denied it. 
And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, Before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him, whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews! They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. When they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to divide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him said, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves, and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross, so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, 
At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He gathered up courage and went in before Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurions, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on to see where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he has told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has not believed shall be condemned. 
These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them, and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. And they promptly reported all these instructions to Peter and his companions. And after that, Jesus sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Congratulations on finishing the book of Mark. We are now halfway through the Gospels. And what's important about these Gospels, and that's why they're called the Synoptic Gospels, is that these are eyewitness testimonies. So all of these were written by people who physically saw Jesus. So again, Mark was not one of the twelve disciples. He was not even a disciple of Jesus until much later. But again, he got his stories from Peter himself. So again, this is more like the Gospel of Peter than it is the Gospel of Mark. So as we saw, most of the stories here and most of the events that took place were very similar to what we read in Matthew. So there's not too much to talk about here. But what I would like to say is that there were some things that Mark explained that were a little bit easier to understand. And there were some things that were different and that stood out to me as we went through this. So I'll talk about that briefly since the reading was long today. I'm not going to go too long, I promise. When we go to chapter 11 and we look at what happened with this fig tree, this was the one that Jesus went up to, it didn't have any figs for him to eat, and he cursed it. Now in Matthew, it's almost as if it withered all at once. But to Mark, it's almost as if it withered a day or so later. And Peter talked to them about it, and then he, then Jesus made a statement. And this was a little bit different than what we saw in Matthew, so it's worth talking about. When they were amazed at the fig tree, this was Jesus' response. Have faith in God. I thought that was a very interesting thing to do when they were just talking about a fig tree. But what he's trying to show them is you need to have faith. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and here's the important part, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. We need to understand that a little bit better. It doesn't mean that whatever you think could possibly happen, you can convince yourself of anything, right? It's that if we took it very literally, we could not doubt in our hearts that we can do anything in his name, and it would come true. But we need to understand how prayer works. Prayer is not about your wishes. It is about what you want for God's glory and for God's will. So at that point, when your will aligns with God's, that's when the miracles begin to happen. Not only that, but God will not deny himself. He will not cause evil things to happen for your sake. He will not do anything contrary to himself or anything that would contradict the Bible. So it's worth talking about that there are certain criteria that must be met in order for this to happen. But ultimately, it was having genuine faith in God that he's talking about here. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. That's very important. If we have any doubt in our mind that God is not capable of doing it, or we don't think there's no way it's going to happen, then it's probably not going to happen. God is beyond that. He doesn't need us or our approval, but he does usually answer prayer when we align with his will. We have to make sure that we are not 
seeing this as the more current movements going on in the religious circles. For example, the prosperity gospel, right? I pray, Lord, that I will be rich because I know you want me to be rich, and then I'm just going to magically get rich. That's not how it works. But secondly, there's also that newer movement that came out a few years back called Name It and Claim It. This movement is anti-biblical, okay, because God is not a genie. He doesn't grant wishes. He doesn't work for you. So it doesn't happen that way. You don't just name whatever you want and declare it and put the blood of Jesus on it and it's going to happen. Because usually those kinds of things come from selfish motives. It is a falsehood. The name it and claim it movement, the prosperity gospels, they're all falsehoods. It is what God's will is that matters. Use the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as an example of that. Jesus didn't pray for himself, except that if there's any other way, let your cup pass. But no matter what happens, it's your will, Lord, not mine. But we can pray and petition for things. God will not always say yes, but we ultimately need to be obedient to his will, whatever he answers. Moving on to chapter 12, there's only one part I wanted to point out here I thought was very interesting. We saw that beginning in verse 28, that we see them approach him about what is the greatest commandment of all, which is nothing new. But what was added here was really interesting to consider. Beginning in verse 32, after Jesus responded what the two great commandments were, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, then this is what the scribe said, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Isn't that true? He got it. He was right there on the cusp. And what did Jesus say to him? He saw that he answered intelligently and said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. You're right there. You're so close, man, to seeing what I'm trying to show you. You're right there. But consider who is saying this. This is a scribe. The scribes were the target of many of Jesus' condemnations because of the posture of their heart. So what we can gather from this is purely from an intellectual standpoint, this guy figured it out. He completely understood what God intends for his people, but his heart was not in it. He didn't say that he discovered the kingdom of God. He didn't get converted at this point because there was something still missing. What was missing? He was a scribe. And what did Jesus constantly say about the scribes? That they were hypocrites and that they were dead inside. So intelligently, they figured it out, but they still did not believe. That's the difference. They understood the scripture enough to where it should be, but they didn't believe. They didn't have faith in what it said. That's why he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're close. You're not there yet, but you're close. We cannot be that way. We cannot have a cerebral knowledge of Jesus Christ and yet have no spiritual or emotional or relational development with him. All of those other things are equally as important. We need to pray because we love the Lord as an individual, as a person, not just because my religion tells me to. That's what they did, but we're better than that. We're called to a higher purpose. Going to chapter 13, we've already seen this, where they're talking about the signs of the future, as well as some that happened in AD 70. But I wanted to point out something that Jesus said at the very end, that he insists that we be on the alert because we don't know when Jesus is returning. But I like how he said it in verse 37. What I say to you, I say to all. Okay, so he's not just talking to the disciples, he's talking to us too. Be on the alert. What does it mean to be on the alert? 
We need to be ready. We need to be paying attention to the signs and the times. Now, I'm not saying that's an excuse to go on the news feed and just read all that garbage that's on there, but at least have a superficial knowledge of what's going on or in the world around us. We need to be kept abreast of current events because those are the signs. How can we know what the signs are if we're not looking? So we need to be careful what we're looking at, but we also need to be paying attention. But when it comes to spiritual development, we also don't just sit idly by waiting for the kingdom to come. We have our orders already, and we need to be fulfilling the standing orders of our Lord, which is to love our neighbor, love the Lord our God, to pray, to seek Him, to learn from Him, and to make disciples of all nations. We already have our job to do. He's already given us our tasks. We just need to be doing those tasks while we wait for His return. So chapter 13, chapter 14 was all almost exactly the same. Chapter 15, while it is sad, we need to be spending most of our time focusing on what Jesus did. I don't think as average Christians, we truly see the significance of what Jesus did here. This is a very sad event. This is a very painful event to look at because we know if we truly understand what Jesus did on that cross, even at a surface level, this should heavily impact our hearts when we read this. Because what Jesus did was something that no one else could do. And without this act, we would not be saved. We need to be grateful every single day that our Lord died for us and that he rose from the dead. Without that, you would be damned. Without that, you would be in hell, separated from him forever. But thank God that when he breathed his last, like it says in verse 38 of chapter 15, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What does that mean? The veil was the curtain that would separate the normal temple where they would do the sacrifices from the Holy of Holies, where that was the, where the presence of God would sit on the Ark of the Covenant. You could not go over there. You could not approach God and not die. The only exception would be is if you were the high priest, you would be able to go once a year in there in order to perform the sacrifice of atonement for the nation. Other than that, you could not go in there, because if you did, you'd be struck dead. That's why most of the time when the high priests would go in there, they'd actually wrap a little rope around their leg. In case they fell dead, they'd be able to pull them out. But my point is, is that the veil was torn. Jesus created a bridge. There was a separation between us and God before. There was a great chasm that existed between us and him. We could not cross over to meet God at any time. There was no way that we could interact with him in in the way that we do today because we were filthy. We are sinners. God cannot look upon sin. God will look away and hate our sin. But Jesus, being sinless, became the curse for us. He took our sin upon himself and died with it. And when he rose, he was a new creature, just like we are when we are saved. He was glorified at that point, and he conquered death for you. The veil was torn. There is no longer any separation between God and man, because Jesus Christ is the bridge. He is the mediator. He is the advocate. He is now the person that stands between us and God, And he is able to relay to us everything, the things of God. And he offers our prayers to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that caused this all to happen. This veil being torn in two is so important. 
Now, I'd like to end with the last portion of chapter 16, which is worth talking about, because some people get really confused by this, as did I for some time, and sometimes I still do. Beginning of verse 14, he appeared to the eleven as they were reclining at the table, and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, in verse 15, it jumps forward in time. And this is what he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So we know that is part of the Great Commission, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Not that the baptism saves you, but is a public profession. But he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. The one that does not believe in the Christ will go to hell. But here's some interesting things. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. Okay, that one's not too crazy. They will speak with new tongues. Okay, we saw that at Pentecost, right? At Pentecost they spoke with tongues. They will pick up serpents. This one is interesting because we don't see anybody in the Bible doing this. And then this one is interesting. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. We don't have anybody drink deadly poison and it doesn't hurt them either. The closest example we have to this is something in the middle there, which we saw in the book of Acts, which we'll get to soon. Paul, after his shipwreck, he gets bitten by a snake that was a venomous snake. And the people were like, oh no, he's going to die. And he never died. And so the people were amazed by that, and they thought he was a god. And so that is probably the closest example we have to a serpent and deadly poison, but no exact match. So this one is very controversial, as in, what did Jesus mean by this? Because does that mean we can pick up snakes and not be killed by poison? Uh, I don't know about that, but... I'm pretty sure if I drank a bottle of poison right now, I would die. And then they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This one happened plenty. So these all make sense, except for that one about the serpent and the poison. That one is a little odd, which we don't see any biblical examples of it. Now, what's interesting is that in the original manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts that we have of Mark, it ends at verse 8. And it leaves it at such a weird cliffhanger, if you will. But then when you go to verse 9, in my Bible, it's all in brackets. Everything after verse 9 is in brackets. So these verses do not appear in two of the most trustworthy manuscripts that we have of the New Testament, though they are a part of many other manuscripts afterwards. If they are not a part of the genuine text of Mark, the abrupt ending at verse 8 is probably because the original closing verses were lost. That's what the, my commentary is going to tell you. I don't agree. I think that whatever is written in the gospel was intentional. God did not lose his word. I mean, have they learned nothing? Even the scholars who are translating this Bible the ones that are providing commentary for Bibles, still lack that basic understanding. God will not allow his words to pass away. So it's not that we lost it. Again, this is not going to be a damning thing if you have doubts about what happens after verse 9. Because it doesn't change the narrative of the Bible. It doesn't change what Jesus did. If you disagree with what is written here, it's not the end of the world. And I'm only talking about this particular section of Scripture. If there's any doubt, because it wasn't in the original manuscripts, which means maybe Mark didn't put it in his gospel, then it may not be the inspired Word of God. But if you take this whole section out, it's not going to kill anything. It doesn't change anything. It adds to it, but it doesn't change anything doctrinally or anything else. So there's nothing to worry about here. Take it for a grain of salt if you're worried about it. So we have to, if we have any doubt of the genuineness of these verses, then we don't want to build a doctrine around it. 
Because again, if you're worried about, well, I don't know if we can pick up serpents and not be damaged by poison, then take it for what it's worth and do your own research if the Bible says anything else about it. Okay? So don't get all worked up about this. It does have an abrupt ending to Mark's gospel, but maybe that's what Mark wanted to do. Maybe he said exactly what he needed to say, and the Holy Spirit was satisfied with that. It's not that God lost pieces of his scripture. Let's be very clear about that. Everything that is in your Bible is complete. It is the complete revelation of God to himself for his people. That is the way it is. So we don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away from it. Take it at face value. And the brackets are the only thing that are kind of up in the air. So if you don't want if you don't want to believe in the brackets, that's fine, then don't. But it's not going to hurt anything else. And with that, let's go ahead and end for today. And tomorrow we'll start in the book of Luke. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.